I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Amy Vaughn is a thoughtful and versatile leader who believes in the limitless possibilities that sit at the intersection of purpose and productivity. Her desire to create positive change in the personal and professional lives of others is what fuels her, as well as the Together Digital mission that she now works to protect and preserve as their biggest champion and CEO. Prior to Together Digital, Amy worked as an award-winning creative director creating compelling digital and video content for brands such as Ford, Pringles, Walmart, Fifth Third Bank, and many more. Her writing and perspectives on the industry have also been featured in multiple well-known publications. As you'll hear in Amy's story, early in her career, she focused on what would make others proud rather than what she would be happiest doing. As she notes, her greatest advice to emerging leaders is to define success for yourself, not the status quo. Listen in to hear how she came to realize just how important that is. It's interesting. I was the firstborn. I always think birth order has so much to do with how we, we lead our lives. Um, so I was the first, firstborn daughter of an immigrant, so also first generation. Um, and so I just think inherently my um, work ethic was has always been really strong. So from a young age, I was always kind of already like in the process of of being a little bit of an entrepreneur at times, creating things and doing things. As a kid, I was always trying to find ways to bring people together, whether it was like kids on my street or clubs in my school. It's kind of involved in a little bit of everything. And I was always trying to fight for some sort of purpose, but I was never really rewarded for anything other than, you know, being productive. And so, you know, it has taken me a couple decades to sort of, you know, pursue and see these paths and really start to begin to recognize my strengths before I could realize that I could be both productive and uh, and purposeful at, at the same time. You know, um, often when you're kind of considering your career path, wherever any of your listeners might be in their career path, and that could be really literally at the beginning or halfway through, midway through, or even towards their end. And they're still wondering, you know, what should I do that would maybe make me like others feel proud? My mom, my dad, my my children, my husband, my friends, my coworkers, as opposed to what am I happiest doing. So I kind of fell into that trap pretty early on as well um, and started (laughs) pre-med. I don't even really know what made me choose that major. I just like, well, I think being a doctor sounds honorable. I think it requires you to be, you know, smart and it has, you know, you help people, but then you also have that air of being a doctor. And I was like, okay, I think my parents would be proud of that. So I really did not excel at math or biology (laughs) or chemistry, but I was going to try. Um, so I spent my first year doing that and I, I enjoyed it. I really did, but I, I quickly learned in, in actually working in healthcare. Um, anytime I was trying to pursue a career path throughout this entire journey, I really tried to kind of step into the space in which I was going to be working. So while I was studying pre-med, I wanted to work at a nursing home, work at um, a hospital to really sort of see like what, what was a doctor's life really like? Um, so that was very eye-opening. <laughs> And, you know, there's just been like a number of, of twists and turns and events and, and life events is another big curveball. Um, so for me, you know, 
marrying young was a relatively big curveball in the sense of I didn't plan to quite so soon. Um, my husband, he's, um, I like to say he's stupid smart, graduated at the top of our high school class. We are high school sweethearts. You know, he was about to go off and after he finished undergrad, go to graduate school. And he was talking to Rutgers and Ohio State and Northwestern. And, you know, I didn't quite know where that was going to leave me, but I just wanted to go with them. We'd been together through high school. I knew we were eventually going to get married. My parents were like, well, great. You're not going anywhere with him until you're married. I'm like, well, are you paying for a wedding? They said, yes. So there I was, 21 and married, <laughs> living in Chicago. And, you know, I was still kind of riding that wave of, medicine potentially. So I was working at a pharmaceutical research company when I was literally just working at the front desk when this woman, Deb, came up to me and said, you are really creative. I love your emails that you write. I love the signage you put around the office. She said, I could use your help. And I remember thinking, well, that's nice. Thanks. You know, and here I am, kid from a small town, young and married, really just trying to make ends meet at the time. Um, support my 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 student husband. You know, she encourages me to start creating um, designs for her um, brochures for these pharmaceutical research studies. And I see for the first time a logo and a brochure that I put together, like in my hand. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. You know, I can be creative and get paid. So I ditched that job and went to work at a graphic design firm as an office manager because I knew I had the office manager skills. And I knew again, I wanted to be in that space where I would be working and kind of like seeing that that course before me, like when you were setting things up saying like, really, am I on the right path? Um, sometimes kind of just getting a sneak peek into that path is it makes kind of all the difference. So I started working at the graphic design firm, found an art school in the loop in downtown Chicago. Um, we barely had $50 to scrape together, but I was like, husband, I need $50 so I can apply to the school. I applied to the school and, um, you know, I just never really looked back. I spent three years um, working full-time during the day and then taking the train into the loop at night to take night classes and riding back in the late hours of the evening. Um, had lots of fun stories on the CTA from that. Um, but, you know, finished my degree in advertising and design in about three years. So, you know, like I said, it's always life events. Like you, you set a course, you choose a course, you begin to follow it and things happen. It's, it's just never going to not happen. That's just life, right? Prior to Deb acknowledging your creative strengths, did you recognize that you had that talent? Was that an interest to you? Yes, yes, but it wasn't something that was really championed. It's, my grandfather was an amazing artist. He, an illustrator. My mom as well, like she can paint, she can sew, she can knit, she can pretty much do anything. And and like, it's not just the crafty stuff, like she is an artist. And then, so at a young age, yes, I loved writing poetry and music and drawing, but because neither of them really had success in pursuing it professionally and both felt very self-conscious and very critical of their own work and of each other's, it was just between the three of us, it's so funny to see like that history and heritage of family talent that kind of just went to the wayside because of that ripple effect. So yeah, I did. I realized that I was creative from a young age, but again, it was like, it was for me, it wasn't for everybody else and it wasn't seen as productive. And I think that's also what I liked about advertising was I could be creative, but I wasn't being creative just for myself. I was helping solve a business's problem or I was helping somebody else solve a problem with a product. And so, you know, I really found advertising appealing because of that, because for once I could be creative, get paid, and it, 
it felt like productive, right? I had data to back up the fact that, look, my pretty concept, my really smart concept worked, made you money, got your, got your sales. So marketing found you, you went to school, then what? Went to school, um, you know, like I said, I've <laughs> three years, you know, I, I built a really great portfolio. I made a lot of great connections, um, you know, outside of working all day and going to school at night. The only time I had to do my work assignments was on the weekends. So, you know, again, through a ton of support from my husband, I was able to, you know, and hardworking grid of my own got through and I finished near the top of my class, had a few job offers, had some good internships under my belt. I was even interviewing at one of my favorite agencies in Chicago, um, at least one of their um, internal groups, the um, their ARC group, which is um, their digital branch of Leo Burnett. And I love Leo Burnett's like history and backstory and going to school in Chicago, reading a lot of their books on the train to school. It's just like, I'm, I've arrived um, only to go home like that same day that I had interviewed there for a temporary job that they told me could become permanent. That my husband's like, well, I kind of got an interesting email today. My advisor here at Northwestern recommended me for a postdoctorate position at the University of Oxford in England. And I was like, well, okay. <laughs> and I remember sitting outside the door of his office, like listening with my ear pressed to the door as close as I could to the interview. I was so like excited and nervous for him. It was like this weird tension of like, I really want to see this happen to, oh my God, what if this happens? Like I literally just got my degree. I'm, I'm waiting and getting job offers. Where do we, where does this leave us? So again, of course, he's amazing, stupid smart. He, he said he's applied math, by the way. So something very different than myself. He, he gets accepted. So we have to make the choice, you know, do we stay in Chicago? And do I pursue my thing or do we take this opportunity to go live abroad for two years? So I became an American copywriter in a British speaking country. Um, we showed up with... So not not what you had anticipated. Not at all. No, no. And I mean, to be fair, he'd been going to school close to 10 years by then too. I went for three very intense years. I was like, well, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, and it's, it's interesting too, because I had studied design and advertising, um, meaning that I had kind of covered both the basics of design and copy. And ironically, you know, I was, I felt like, oh, confident as a designer, but my, the best feedback I ever received was when I was doing my copywriting. So of course I chose that path. So that's where I had spent a lot of my internship time and my freelancer time. And that's what my book was. So when I got to England and started talking to all of these British agencies, they were like, well, you know, American English and British English are a very different thing. And I said, I don't agree, disagree, but, you know, yeah, give a girl a chance. Like I have to learn somehow. So, you know, here I am, student loans looming and a college degree that all of a sudden I feel like is potentially worthless in a country that, you know, I came to very much love. In fact, I cried the whole way home once we had to leave. Um, but the first few months there, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a, it's the same language, but the, the culture and well, it's funny because the, as we were acclimating ourselves, you know, anybody who's gone and lived abroad can probably relate to this. So like we showed up and we're like, okay, great. We have a flat. And now we need phones and a bank account. Like those are kind of all the essential things. So you can get electric turned on and you can get Wi-Fi set up. And I'm like thinking, I need to look for a job. I need to have Wi-Fi. And the funny thing was, is like, I remember spending like hours in a, one of those red British phone booths that they also spray cologne in them for some reason. Like there's this little air freshener that just like puts out the spray every like five minutes. So we were like suffocating in this thing, trying to be on the phone with the um, electric company because we couldn't 
we couldn't get uh, electric turned on without a phone line. And then we couldn't get a phone line without like a, some kind of proof of residency, which included our electric bill. And it was like the most bizarre thing. So I spent a lot of times at co- a lot of time at coffee shops and pubs because, you know, I could sit, I could have a drink and I could use their Wi-Fi to, to job search. So I was doing this and um, kind of started frequenting one in particular. And, um, you know, again, you know, the student loan are no joke and they came furious and they came fast. And so I started to look for other opportunities to just kind of freelance. And I ended up redesigning kind of everything in this one family owned and operated um, coffee shop, their website, their camera, their logo, like you name it. I just kind of jumped in and did everything. And then also I started just learning how to make coffee and be a barista, started to pay off my loans. And one of my most favorite jobs, I was, it's such a chip on my shoulder to begin with. I'm like, here I am, college degree. I know I'm talented. I know I'm a great writer. I know I could be really making things happen in my career right now. And instead, here I am in this foreign country, you know, I'm not doing the thing that I thought I was going to be doing. And the last thing I want to be doing is, you know, sitting behind a counter at a coffee shop. But it, it didn't take me long. It was a, a couple months. And, you know, I got to meet some of the most amazing writers, artists, academics, um, you know, people who just from all over the world, because it's, it's Oxford. Um, so it really allowed me to just really live in that, you know, one year and 10 months. I really lived in England. Like I was present. I could literally close my eyes right now and walk the whole of Oxford in my mind. Um, and it, I don't think going into an advertising job, I wouldn't have done that. I would have literally gotten on the train to go to London from Oxford, which is about a 45 minute train ride just to get to Paddington. And then I'd have to take the tube to get elsewhere. I would have spent all my time commuting and or working long agency hours. And it really just brought me back to the core of my creativity. So I was doing more creative writing because I was in the, I was in the world of, you know, J.R. Coking and Lewis Carroll. And you're just surrounded by all of this, this beauty and these dreaming spires. Um, so I think, you know, while it was a little bit of a, a twist that I didn't expect, it was probably one of those things that I really, really needed. I don't know where my my soul and my purpose would be if um, I hadn't had um, life kind of throw that curveball and, and put me in a place that I didn't expect. And also, too, I became like a supervisor at the coffee shop, which really was my first job, you know, managing other people and other than my little sister and brother and kids I babysat telling people what to do and learning how to do that in a way that was effective. So, you know, even though I wasn't like doing the thing I went to school for, I was really learning a lot at that time while I was there. I I very much appreciated it. Well, and it goes back to what you said earlier that when considering your career path early on, you know, you asked yourself, what would make others proud rather than what would I be happiest doing? And as it turns out, you were really happy at the coffee shop and getting incredible experiences. No, definitely. I, I would not. I would not trade it for anything. And what's ironic is that, you know, I I felt like at the time I was, I was falling so far behind, you know, it took me a while to get over that, especially seeing kind of my, you know, fellow graduates go off and kind of start jobs of their own and, and whatnot. I was still kind of like in that mindset to a degree. And I remember when we were moving back stateside, I thought, I'm not going to let myself fall back into that trap, you know, that workaholic is not. So you learned, well, and again, consistent with your theme of productive and purposeful, right? You were doing good, like purposeful work and getting some good things done. Think about the impact you had on that coffee shop and others. So you come back stateside. Tell us about that transition back to the States. 
Yeah, it was kind of scary at first. You know, I wasn't really sure what it was going to be like. I thought that I would have to be begging for a job. Um, I actually landed something pretty quickly as um, a junior search copywriter for um, what was then called Team Detroit. It was sort of a big conglomerate of um, J. Walter Thompson, Ogilvy and Mather, if you're familiar with those sorts of agencies, and um, working a lot on Ford. And my life was spreadsheets and bulk sheets because it was search copy, which was really like, it was kind of a cool exercise in, you know, limited creativity. You know, you can only say so much in so many characters and you have to consider like the makes and the models of the cars and the location of that targeted ad and all these things. And so what I started doing was playing around with Excel to figure out how could I possibly automate some of that writing so that I wouldn't have to spend all my time in spreadsheets because I'm pretty sure anybody who is creative and writes the last thing that you want to do is spend your life in Excel spreadsheets and then just kind of manually changing a car name or a car make and then a city like that's just like a nightmare. Um, I did it for like a month and then I thought there's got to be a better way. And I'm sure nowadays there probably is. But at the time, probably dating myself, there was no such thing. So it was funny because, you know, here I am, junior writer. I'm like, I am creative. I am going to get back to the thing that I went to school for. And literally six months within that first job, got an offer as a strategic planner because um, the VP head of planning at the agency had noticed this work that I had done to kind of make more of the search copy, you know, effective and automated. I was doing it personally because I didn't want to spend my time in bulk sheets and I wanted to be able to work on more creative things. And he was like, you could be a strategist. And so I was like a little, again, like thrown off course. I'm like, wait, but I, I've come back and I've been so intentional about this is the, this is the course. I gave it a thought. Um, it's funny nowadays um, we have these things called creative strategists. Those weren't a thing back then, but you know, I I kind of mulled it over and I decided to just absorb absorb that opportunity as an added strength, as opposed to saying, okay, I have to shed everything I've done up to this point and go for this strategic thing. I thought, no, I'm just going to own the fact that I'm, I'm creative. I'm a writer, but I'm also really strategic about what I do. And I really tried to make sure that from that position, even on onward that I really owned that. Um, so instead of just kind of seeing it as its own separate course, I sort of kind of, I don't know, I sort of absorbed it in a weird way, um, even though I didn't take that role. That's really cool. So I hear some like, like peeling back the layers there, right? So the collaborative and creative strengths had been, had been apparent. And now you were adding to that this strategic strength, which gave you an opportunity to really expand the work you were doing. It really did. It did a lot. And I think, you know, it, it gained me some visibility within the um, agency itself. It gave me the opportunity to actually end up working on some other bigger, more creative projects as well, all of a sudden, because now they had heard that strategy wanted me, creative wanted me even more. And I was going to, you know, other meetings and other talks. I got to work on a um, a spot that ended up being put on ESPN as a junior copywriter. I was on set helping to direct. There was actually no, so my associate creative director was like, bye. I have fun. And me and my art director went and, you know, spent the day with uh, Ken Block, who was the owner of DC Shoes and a rally race driver on, on set all day long for a 16 hour day shoot for an ad that ended up on ESPN. And as a junior, you know, creative, that was a big deal. And I just don't think that if I wouldn't have kind of taken that initiative, leaned into my strengths in those ways, would I have been given or had those opportunities? Yeah. Isn't it, isn't it amazing when we're leading with our strengths, the opportunities that emerge just naturally? Right. Exa exactly. I think, you know, and we talked about this before, a lot of times, you know, people, I love it now because I think, you know, strength finders and there's so many other types of personality and, and just 
like how you're wired sort of tests out there that reflect back and let you know what your strengths are and tell you to really make sure that you're focusing and pushing into those strengths and not just focusing on, okay, this is my one weakness. How do I just make myself level with everybody else as far as that weakness goes? So yeah, no, it definitely was good. And again, to kind of stick with the, the theme of my, my career journey, you know, about the time I was hitting my stride at this, you know, agency, we, we finished the TV spot for ESPN. I was actually working on scripting another that had uh, the Rod Sterling character for um, Mad Men as like the spokesman before it was Matthew McConaughey for Lincoln. And um, I was just like, you know, I was like, so just hitting my stride there. And then my, my husband. This me, is a theme for you, Amy, isn't it? Just when you're hitting your stride, <laughs> life comes in and gives you something else. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like I'd mentioned before, my husband was in academics and um, we, I don't know if I mentioned before, but, you know, we had grown up together and it was in Cincinnati, Ohio. And here we moved away to Chicago and then England and then Michigan. And we're thinking we're never going back to Cincinnati. Well, the universe decided otherwise. And, you know, his math, the math that he does, um, you know, aligns with uh, mathematical modeling and biomedical research, which there's a lot of that here in Cincinnati with the university hospital and children's hospital. And so a job, you know, opened up at the University of Cincinnati that was a tenure track position, which if anybody here is familiar with academics, tenure is obviously something that anybody that, you know, strives to be a professor is after they're just far and few between. And so it was kind of like, well, how do you not apply to that? Um, and I told him, you know, if you apply, you're going to get this job, right? I was like telling myself that as much as him, I think, in case he didn't necessarily want to come back, but then also to know that like our family was back here. And obviously there would be some point where we would have to start talking about starting our own family. And so, um, you know, we had definitely taken our sweet time with that. At that point, we were over 10 years married and, you know, still no kids, but we were so young when we got married. We're like, there's no rush there. So, you know, he applied and of course he got the job and, and we moved back to Cincinnati, which again, it was just really fascinating how things sort of came full circle. And, you know, I, I kind of found myself starting over again. But the good thing is, is that I always like that. I like starting over again. I can see a ton of new opportunities. Um, I can try to see the advantages. Um, and I've learned from what's behind me. So, you know, I figured I've shifted gears a few times already. What's one more time? And now we're on the track, you know, once he achieves tenure, then, you know, we're, we're there for as long as, you know, he wants to stay. We ended up back in Cincinnati and I ended up interviewing a few agencies and pretty quickly got um, snatched out by um, a local agency that is now part of uh, Gray. And um, at the time, though, it was uh, Bridge and it became possible. It's so funny how these agencies, like none of the names have stayed the same. When you look at my resume, every agency has changed names since I've left it. But I, um, you know, started working on uh, Pringles and Febreze and uh, it was there for maybe a year. And then um, a uh, gentleman, an executive creative director for a small agency in um, Detroit, back up in Detroit after I'd left there, reached out to me and offered me a job as an associate creative director to um, work on some uh, cow brands, which is like Bure, Jerkins and Ban. And ironically, I love telling this part of the story. So I don't know if you guys remember way back at the beginning of my story when I was talking about interviewing at ARC, um, which was a part of Leo Burnett, my dream agency, the gentleman that I'd interviewed with named Mike Pugh, he was an associate creative director with this executive creative director. And my mentor in college who taught my advertising campaign class was his copywriting partner on the Army account. And 
the gentleman who at the Team Detroit company, when I had first started back after leaving the States and coming back, the uh, VP of strategy had actually been working at this agency and had left to go to Detroit. So like I had these three very strong connections. So when, when this creative director called me, he was like, I know I want you for this job because I've got these three people who have at some point or another had significant like input um, or feedback on, on you as a, as a professional and as a, as a, as a person. And so it was really cool. It was an awesome two years um, that I kind of worked there. I went back and forth between Cincinnati and Ann Arbor because the clients were here in Cincinnati and, you know, it was before kids. So it was really, um, it was really cool. And it was the first small agency I'd been a part of. And so JT really helped open my eyes to the operations of the agency because it was small, independently owned and operated. And his mentorship in that really kind of reignited and re sparked after such a long time, that like little entrepreneurial Amy, you know, from when I was, you know, eight, nine years old running a babysitting business. So, you know, he really brought me back to that notion of, you know, being interested in in things beyond my role. I was really, I was really interested. And he was the first person to really help me you know, see behind the curtain and understand more about the organization, the finances, the people, that inner voice, that inner voice that had always been speaking to me. And I just wasn't listening was already there. But I I went anyways, um, after a couple of years, some things changed at Enlightened. So I left and I actually um, had my, my, my first child, Clara, my daughter. And that was obviously very life changing, as anybody who has children will know, kind of turns things upside down, changes your priorities. Um, but I had started working back at the age that I'd been at before working on Pringles and Febreze, working on all these other P&G brands. And I, I just fell right back into that old MO of productive, 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 like constantly working 60, 70 hours, despite raising a child, you know, coming pregnant a second time, you know, with my son. And it was around that time that I had decided I wanted to create a women in leadership group at my agency, not just for them, but for me. I, I was realizing that as I was moving through the ranks as a creative in my agency, it was a much bigger agency as it was kind of moving from kind of an independent place to a part of a, a group to being sold to a conglomerate. And so it kind of just felt like that visibility that I had enjoyed in my previous job, that smaller agency was was starting to wane. And I was, without even really acknowledging it myself, I was missing it. And so I was sort of an anomaly within the agency at the time. Um, we didn't have any other creative directors that um, we had one other female creative director and um, not very many other moms in, the, in that group, in the creative group. So I was really kind of alone and isolated. So I thought this women in leadership group, um, because at the time too, all of the senior leadership was this male. I thought, you know, if I can't have a seat at the table right now, then I'm going to just build my own table. The thing was, I was lacking some material. You know, I, I didn't quite know what that meant. Um, there's things now called employee resource groups, ERGs, and affinity groups. Like these are such a big trend now that, like, even three or four years ago, at least in, in the agency world, they weren't being, at least in the agency I was working for, they weren't being provided for. It was really interesting. And so I kind of was just making it up as I went along. And it, sometimes it felt productive and helpful. And other times it just felt like I was fighting bigger battle, battles that needed to be fought outside of those walls. And that, you know, it, I didn't want it to ever detract from, again, the thing I was being rewarded for, which was my productivity. So, you know, but obviously I was constantly chasing this purpose. So it was a, I was about seven months pregnant, um, driving into work one day. Um, I had scheduled a phone call with this woman who had reached out to me on LinkedIn named Elena Scherer. And she 
um, just had the story she wanted to, to share. She had owned and operated her own um, digital agency in Columbus for a few years and had decided to do this tell-all about her experience as she had gone through radio for 12 years, um, a freelancer as a creative within an agency, and then um, you know, as an agency owner um, about what that was like as a woman. And I was just really hearing her story and her perspective and saying, that's not just me, but so many other women within my women in leadership group that I know, um, other like female friends that I have kind of, I've had for throughout my life. It was just all of these themes kept coming back. And she asked, you know, she said, I think that what I'm doing here in Columbus could go beyond and, you know, start in other cities. Do you think that something like this would go over well in Cincinnati. And I was like, I have no clue, but I will absolutely do whatever I can to help to make it happen. And so I come home and it was like the same thing. I always show up and I'm like, Hey, hubby, I need $50. I'm going back to college. Hey, hubby, I'm going to go do this now. It was like this time I came home and I'm like, I know that I'm traveling a lot. I'm working and I'm about to have a second baby, but I really think I want to get involved in this group and start volunteering. So we started planning like the first Cincinnati kind of launch event um, in April. So it is going to be while I was on maternity leave. And, you know, I, I emceed the event. We, we scheduled the event around my pumping schedule. And that day, you know, even in the, the postpartum blur that I was in, I just still remember being up there. And I, I didn't, I still don't love being in front of people, but I didn't feel I felt nervous and scared, but I also just felt like oddly at ease and at home. There was something about for the first time in probably a very, very long time and being a room full of just women. I was just like, I'm not alone. Like we are all in this together. You know, I had nothing to be ashamed of. And so it was just such a really cool day. We had panelists and speakers and, you know, I'd never been a part of organizing an event like that, but just the day itself and hearing Elena share her story yet again in front of an audience was just like, what? Um, I really felt like I was, you know, a part of something bigger than myself. I'd finally felt like that purpose. So for about three years, um, I volunteered um, on top between the work and the kids. And, you know, I led the um, local Cincinnati chapter and helped to grow it to about 200 members and 13 amazing um, women on the board. I, I knew nothing about managing or leading a board, but I learned as I went, you know, I made mistakes and I got feedback and, you know, it, it was kind of nice. It's like, as long as I had a sense of what the purpose of our group was, leadership became easier because I just have to fall back on what our purpose and our mission is. If I find myself making a judgment or a call that falls outside of that, I know that I'm not serving it well. And so, you know, it was always just like, it's such an easier way for me to lead with integrity rather than ambition. You know, I think when I was a creative director, I was constantly in this weird, like imposter syndrome state of mind where it's like, am I really as talented as this person that I'm directing right now? Could they be doing my job? Will they be doing my job? Like there was this constant battle where it was more of like, I guess the Together Digital stuff really helped to uh, appease and ease my sense of, and desire, not just to lead, but to collaborate, you know, because I just, I'm not the kind of person who prefers to be, to be isolated. Um, again, as some of my, my stories and my trends and themes have probably shown. So, you know, I was sort of sitting at that spot where, you know, I had kind of let ambition sort of lead a lot of my decisions. Um, and here I had found this, this kind of purposeful thing. And I remember, it's so funny, I actually had a conversation with another woman about work-life balance and just balance in general. And she had the same moment. And I'm sure that I'm not, she and I are also not alone in this, but, um, you know, we both had achieved this title and a six-figure salary. And you always felt that was when you were going to be 
happy. Oh, if I can just get to X, Y, and Z as a title, or if I can just get to X, Y, and Z as a dollar amount and what I'm making every year, I life will be great. It is not true. <laughs> Sorry, I was miserable. I was miserable. I had my title. I had my team. But, you know, we endured a lot at the time. It, it, it was just... It was hard. It was hard. There was a lot of ups and downs. We were gaining and losing accounts. We were pitching constantly. We were laying people off. It was just, it was kind of a nightmare. And the the thing about this organization that I had been volunteering for together digital for three years was it just has the habit of being life-changing because we do try to make it less of like a professional networking organization. We really want to make sure that women feel like they're making real connections and they can be vulnerable. And so we do a lot of like asking and giving and trading favors, which again, women aren't great. We're good at the giving, not so great at the asking. And it's just funny how that becomes very cyclical. And in my story and Elena's story, you know, it really has the ability to be life-changing so much so that, you know, I was in the midst of this, you know, title and and, and salary and, and life that I thought, okay, I've got my kids, I got my house, I got my salary, I got my title. Why am I not happy? Then all of a sudden, kind of out of the blue, Alina approaches me and tells me, hey, I had a member come to me. So one of our members of Together Digital came to her and said, you should run for Congress. You live in the 12th district. This is an important, important district. There is a chance that you could help not just flip it historically, but be the first woman. (laughs) sit in the seat. And Alina's like, oh, no, 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 no. And she went home and her husband said, like, if you don't run, I will run. And her kids were like, you have to do it. Like they all got behind her. And, you know, between them and, and a lot of, you know, our, our members and this member herself who saw that light and ability in her and said, this is where you could be. This is what you could be doing. You know, Elaine and I had gotten close over those three years when things in the business would get kind of rocky or bumpy or weirder. I was having a crap day at work. Like we were the first person the other one would call often. And so she knew me well. Like she kind of already knew like what my inner workings were probably before I was ready to acknowledge them from an organizational standpoint. And in thinking of myself as more than just, oh, I'm a creative director. Oh, I'm a creative and I'm strategic and I'm collaborative. Sure. But I never would have said I comfortable running a company. But her coming up to me during that conference and saying, I'm going to do this tremendously amazing and brave thing. And now I think this is the thing that you should be doing. And I was just like, wait, what, me? You're talking to me? (laughs) And, um, you know, as we talked about it, and as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, why not me? You know, instead of that, like, instead of this, why me? It was, why not me? You know, I mean, and she could have asked any of our 2000 members, um, women who have been just tremendous. And I get to work with them every day now that that volunteer for our organization. We have so much talent among our group. Um, so it was really, really flattering. And of course, I gave it a lot of time and a lot of thought nonetheless, because I knew it was a big thing that I would be taking on, you know, but that that's what I did. I kind of talked it through with my husband and said, you know, I think we're all going to jump and we got to decide to jump together on this one because, you know, it's it's a it's a bigger commitment than what I've had in the past. And he didn't even bite an eyelash. I remember when I called him and told him that she asked me about it. He's like, well, of course. <laughs> well, and I, I can't help but see the parallels between you sitting at the front desk and Deb many, many years before saying, hey, I see these creative strengths in you. And so once again, somebody had tapped you on the shoulder saying, Amy, we need you to we need you to step up. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's so important to really listen to those. And when they come up, don't bat them away. I am definitely one to be prone to shy away from from compliments and acknowledgments and, and praise. I honestly don't really love it. But, um, you know, I always try to take 
whatever that is away and, and really make sure that I, I do my best to, to embrace it, to acknowledge it and, and to step into it. Honestly, even if I don't feel like I'm a hundred percent that, you know, I feel like that's my job thereafter is once that's the status quo, like I want to step into that. So yeah, it's been about five months and probably the most fi- educational five months of my life. But I've realized that every twist, every turn, every experience from, you know, working on my street as a kid, just hustling business to, um, you know, my first job at 16 to working in hospitals under a lot of stress and pressure and having to stay really cool and calm um, and just realize that there's so many more things that are bigger that aren't life and death. I think that was an interesting thing, you know, to, you know, living in a different culture, society, getting some different perspective, like all of these things, I think have all just been really, um, have done a lot in kind of helping me uh, prepare for what it is that I'm doing for what I'm doing now. Well, and, and no doubt you have had a lot of lessons learned, even in the short five months, it probably feels like a lot longer than that. What is your greatest lesson learned? Oh, my greatest, I would say to define success for yourself and and not with the status quo. I think there's going to be a, a, sur- a surge of a lot of this happening. I think it really already is maybe not so much with my generation, but with like millennial Gen Z, where they're going to take the time, at least I hope to, you know, acknowledge that they define their success. And whether that's purpose or a paycheck or a little bit of both, you know, I, I don't know what guidance counselors are like nowadays. But when I was younger, it was really like, you could be a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, blah, 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 here, are these five things you could be now go figure out which one you want to be the most, you know, and I don't think that there's any wrong time to stop and take that moment and and look like we said at the very beginning and say, am I on the right course? Because, you know, there's going to be twists and turns. And sometimes those twists and turns, it's not that things are happening to you. Um, I've always kind of taken it more as they're happening for me. So I think if you can kind of decide like what success, what does a happy life look like? And that's personal and professional. And then sort of whatever comes at you. Um, if I could go back in time, like if I feel like if I would define that better earlier on, not that I'm at all dissatisfied with where I am now, but you know, I think it would have helped. It would have probably saved me a lot of stress and anxiety because I could have looked at that and known what is my, what is my why and how do I define success for myself? What is when I'm, you know, however old near death, hopefully very old looking back, am I going to say my life well, was well spent writing copy for big brands? No, probably not. So like, what are the things that I would say meant that I led a meaningful, productive, um, purposeful life? And then from there, really take a look at anything that comes your way. Look at the curveballs, look at the compliments, and really use that as your your filter to sort of make your decisions and kind of go from there. And I don't know how you don't succeed if that's the case, right? You're kind of all of a sudden now just always chasing down the things that ensure that you are happy. Yes. So good. Yeah. That's so that is a clear theme through all of your stories that you've shared across your journey. Yeah. Defining success for you. Well, and everything is always what you choose to make of it. So I think I go back to the coffee shop and how initially your perception of that was something very different than it actually ended up being. It ended up being so fulfilling and rewarding and such a great experience. Well, the other big, the other, the other theme that I hear through the story over and over, I just have to, this whole, why not me? You said, you know, that, that repeatedly in your humility, 
you know, not out there promoting yourself, but because of the good work that you were doing, others noticed that. And so you were, you have been tapped on the shoulder multiple times and stepped into those opportunities. No, I really have. And it's one of those things, like I think back to those, um, those people and those themes, and I don't even know if they know um, how influential they were kind of in those moments and those times. So I would also say that as you are going throughout your day and you are in a place of influence or power or ability to give that kind of a feedback or a compliment or a push to somebody that you see something in, like I'm always trying to do that now. I feel like I need to pay it forward. So I feel like the story, I have it down so well because I've, I've shared it with so many others that I've, you know, helped to just kind of mentor through our organization. They've, they've come to know who I am. Maybe even when I was just like city champ and not running the organization itself, I would get, you know, recent grads, you know, somehow would find me through one thing or another and, and ask to have coffee. And I always love to share it because one, I want them to have the lessons and two, I, I want to hear more about them and what they're doing and be able to give them that tap on the shoulder to say, Hey, maybe this is that thing. Maybe that's that direction for you because I think everybody needs that a little bit in their life. It's hard. Everybody to- needs that. Yeah. Yes. And so as a leader, you're right. Paying attention to the good work that our others are doing and then acknowledging that we all need those boosts. So good. Well, Amy, thank you so much for highlighting those really important lessons learned. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, they can email me. It's amy at togetherindigital.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.